The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. It is the first or the final Wednesday of the month which means it's time for a mailbag episode. I really appreciate all the questions y'all sent in. I will not be able to answer all of them on the podcast. Uh, We'll get to as many of them as as I can. Uh, A few of them required a bit more digging than I had time for and just kind of just generally uh, not going to have time to get to all of them. But as always, I will post an article version of the podcast on the site uh, either today or tomorrow. And if you sent in a question and I don't get to it on the pod, it'll probably be in the article form. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, Got a very special guest coming on next week, Jim Callis, uh, MLB.com previewing everything MLB draft related. And then uh, it's, it's really going to be kind of draft stuff for me um, between now and then. Uh, we'll be updating the top 400 prospect rankings uh, in mid to late July, uh, but not really working on that update until the draft is in the books. So I uh, don't have a, a firm date for when that update will be live on the site. Uh, but let's get right into the questions. Uh, first one is from uh, Trader Andy, uh, Sack Attack podcast. Andy uh, plays in a dynasty league with me. Uh, he wants to know with the struggles of Miguel Vargas and Tristan Casas, are you still high on them? Why have they struggled? And do you still see them as fantasy assets moving forward? Uh, Vargas is the more surprising of the two to me. Uh, He is, he's still making uh, really elite swing decisions. Uh, Excellent plate skills. He's been pretty obviously very unlucky uh, on balls in play. Um, and I, I think he's probably got to do a little bit of tinkering. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see more line drives for instance. Um, and his, his hard hit rate is, is way down compared to last year. And so I I think his thumb injury from earlier in the year is probably affecting that, uh, just pretty much what I'm looking at with Vargas is a perfect post hype guy to get in on for next year. Uh, Definitely want to make sure that the Dodgers are going to have playing time for him next year. But if it looks like he's he's got a clear spot to play, uh, I will be loading up on him in drafts for 2024 because I assume his price will be uh, pretty affordable. 
And then uh, for Casas, I just really, you know, I was lower on Casas than Vargas, uh, still a top 25 prospect entering the year. Um, but I do think, you know, he he really struggled the first couple months. Uh, Casas has had a, a really good month of June. And I think his end of year numbers are going to look a lot like what I would have expected. He's, he's probably going to finish with around like 25 home runs, uh, maybe like a 345 OBP. Uh, that's what I would have hoped for um, and expected from from Casas this year. Uh, the batting average is going to be lower. Uh, he's he's always going to be an OBP over batting average type of guy. Uh, until further notice, I think we have to expect he's going to always struggle against left-handed pitching. He's got a career 091 ISO against lefties. Uh, he he strikes out more against lefties too. He walks a ton against lefties. Basically, it just it seems like he just doesn't really swing that often against lefties because he knows he can't do a ton of damage against them. Um, not not an ideal guy for for redraft standard roto leagues, but Casas is he's a good young slugger to have in an OBP dynasty league. So uh, format dependent with Casas, and I would buy the dip on Miguel Vargas. Uh, Jason Herb asks if Josh Naylor is a top ten first baseman in dynasty formats. Uh, yeah, I ranked him as the sixth first baseman for Dynasty on my most recent ranking. So easy top 10 first baseman. Uh, he's got a 990, or Jason also wanted to know if he's got another gear beyond this. And if I'd rather have Naylor over Spencer Torkelson, Miguel Vargas, and Tristan Casas. Uh, Naylor's, you know, I don't think he's got another gear beyond what he's been doing over the past like month and a half because he's been one of the best hitters in the game over the past month and a half, almost has a OPS of a thousand during that stretch. Um, So I don't think there's another gear beyond that, but like if you just look at his, his season line uh, he's probably going to come close to going 25 homers, 10 steals, a hundred RBI. I would guess he probably settles with like a 280 average. Uh, So if he just kind of stays, on his current pace from a full season standpoint, I wouldn't really be even asking for another level there. Maybe, maybe there is, maybe, maybe he gets to even more power in coming seasons. You know, he was a guy that that was his big tool uh, coming up through the minor leagues was his raw power. Uh, His raw power was always kind of ahead of his game power, but uh, you know, he probably hits around 25 homers this year. Maybe he gets to 30 homers in a future season, but uh, maybe he also doesn't steal as many bases in a future season. Uh, the the 100 RBI mark he's tracking toward, uh, some of that is is probably just luck in terms of producing when runners are on. But uh, I just think he's a he's a really safe, steady option. He's he's just beginning his prime, so uh, love Naylor and Dynasty, and I'd take him. I definitely would take him over Casas. Uh, I would take him over Torkelson. Uh, and then Naylor versus Vargas. It's pretty close in Dynasty. Uh, I, I definitely would take Naylor over Vargas if I'm contending. Uh, if I'm a couple years away from contending, I, I'd probably take Vargas. Okay, JB says, in a redraft league, please rank Miguel Vargas, Brett Beatty, Colton Cowser, and Christian Encarnacion Strand. Uh, I'd rank them in that order. Vargas, Beatty, Kauser, Encarnacion, Strand. Uh, you know, it, and that's that'd be for like a deeper league. If you're in a shallower league and you're basically just talking about 
which of these guys should I have on my bench? Then I would let sort of positional needs factor in. Like, are you hurting for an outfielder? In that case, I might take Kowser. Uh, obviously, third base, Beatty. Um, you know, Encarnacion Strand has got uh, maybe the highest ceiling of those four. So if you're just chasing ceiling, you might go Encarnacion Strand, but uh, he does probably have the, the toughest path to everyday at bats, at least in the short term. Um, I'm very excited about Colton Kowser. I, you know, I'm, I'm excited for him to get the call um, because of my, my main event league outfield is kind of the one position I'm, I'm looking for. And I think he'd be a, a great fit, but Kowser's got platoon split issues. Uh, he's, he's better against righties. And part of the long-term appeal with Kowser is that he, he projects to probably be the, the Orioles leadoff hitter, at least against righties. Uh, but that might not be till 2024 or 2025. And, you know, he, there's some strikeout issues there. So cows are not a lock to produce this year uh, when he gets the call. Uh, Brant Chesser wants to know which keeper bat I would prefer in a 15 team OBP points league with minor league keepers, Junior Caminero or Jackson Churio. Uh, I'll take Trio, but it's uh, super close. And if you if you have a strong lean, Brandt, towards Caminero, I wouldn't try to talk you out of that. Uh, I think it's it's kind of uh, it's almost sort of floor versus ceiling. Like I think Trio probably has the higher ceiling. I think they have basically the exact same power potential. Uh, Trio obviously. Um, you know, plus or double plus runner. So you're going to get probably 20 more steals from Churio any given season. And I think Caminero's bat is just a little safer, but I do think Churio has the higher ceiling. So I, I'd probably go Churio there, but they're they're going to be like right next to each other uh, in my next update. Uh, Dandy F. Chiggins had a Churio question. Uh, he said he's heard a ton about how high people are on Churio but the batting average and OBP seem to lag behind his power and speed numbers. Is this just him being young? What kind of OBP hitter does he profile as? What is so special about him in your eyes? Uh, I think that the most, I mean, you'll hear this from, from most people about Churio. It's just the, the really, really elite bat speed uh, combined with the youth. Um, that's, that's kind of what makes him special. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, if you think of like Ronald Acuna or maybe like uh, Christopher Morel in terms of just bat speed, just incredible impact potential, uh, that's that's kind of what Churio brings to the table. Um, and it, you know, I think when you look at the speed, you look at the bat speed, uh, you look at the exit velocities, like I think it's pretty easy to dream on 30 30 seasons from Churio. Uh, so that's you know, that's what is so special about him. Uh, it's the combination of the, the bat speed and the, the speed on the bases. Uh, you know, when you're looking at the average and the OBP, that's kind of where the youth factors in here. He's uh, eight months younger than Caminero. Uh, he's three months younger than Jackson holiday. So I think if you look at what he's done at double a, like opening the year at double a, uh, I think it's actually more impressive than concerning. Like I think it's most hitters his age would just be absolutely terrible against double a pitching. So I think you know, he's been kind of about league average. 
uh, running a ton, hitting for power, uh, not striking out at an alarming rate or anything like that. So I, I think it's been a successful year for Churio. He hasn't kind of taken that crown of, of top prospect in the game uh, like Jackson Holiday has. But, uh, you know, I think by the time Churio is 23, 24, his average and OBP will be big positives for him. Uh, all right. Eric Samolski wants to know if I have any insight on Kyle Manzardo. Uh, his timeline is, is the power developing the way we want. O's flows also had a Kyle Manzardo question. Uh, just asking if he's taking a step back. Uh, so with Manzardo, I think he's just been like, if I were grading his first three months of the season, I think I'd give him a C. Uh, he hasn't been bad at all. He hasn't been good enough to improve his stock. Um, so, you know, I think you, you can look at some underlying metrics, you know, his, his soft hit rate is down. His max EV is up. Um, and, you know, this is maybe a little basic, but, you know, he's got an elite line drive rate. He's got a great fly ball rate. He's got a very low infield fly ball rate. And yet he's got a 278 BABIP. So obviously Manzardo, not a good athlete. He's not going to be legging out infield singles or anything. But uh, my biggest conclusion is that he's just been pretty unlucky on balls in play. He, he probably does. I think he's got a 245 average. He probably deserves closer to like a, a 275 average right now and that would basically make the rest of the stat line fall right into place with expectations so um i think he's just kind of his his stock is sort of holding steady he's not it's not like he's knocking on the door of being the rays everyday first baseman i don't think that's happening uh this month and maybe not even this year uh they just they have so many good options but uh, we'll probably see him you know, he, he might get a cup of coffee in September or something like that. But I, I don't think holding Manzardo for, for redraft purposes, uh, that's not really something I'm looking to do right now, uh, unless you're in like an AL only or something. Uh, Robert Easton has a Junior Caminero question. Uh, he says at, at 19 years old, he's actually improved his walk rate and, and K rate when moving from high A to double A. Uh, unless his numbers plummet, is he looking like the number two guy by the end of the season? So uh, the guys in that in the mix for that number two spot to me right now, uh, I mean, I think Jackson Holiday is obviously the favorite to be the, the number one prospect at the end of the season, but uh, Churio, Caminero, Jordan Lawler, those are kind of the three uh, minor leaguers who I think are in that mix to be the number two overall prospect. And then I would throw Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford in there as well. Uh, the top two hitters in the draft, uh, both from the college ranks. Um, so I, it wouldn't surprise me if it was Churio at two. Wouldn't surprise me if it was uh, Caminero. Wouldn't surprise me if it was Lawler, Cruz, Langford. Uh, the thing that Churio doesn't have that those five have is impact speed. Um, we'll, we'll see how much Cruz and Langford run, but they're at least – they're going to run more than, than Caminero is going to run. And obviously Lawler's going to run plenty. Churio is going to run plenty. So you could maybe argue that of those five guys behind holiday, Caminero is the safest of the five. Uh, I think a lot of people would maybe say Cruz is the safest of those five, but uh, Caminero's done it at double a uh, he's, 
a few years younger than than Cruz, um, two years younger, I think. So you can maybe say Caminero is the safest of those guys, but I do think it's pretty wide open to who's going to be the uh, number two prospect behind Holiday at the end of the year. Uh, Ada or Aaron Stoltenberg, what is your guess for a way too early top five prospects at this time next year? So a full calendar year from now. Uh, I mentioned those six guys, uh, Holiday, Churio, Caminero, Lawler, Cruz, Langford. Uh, if you're talking about a, a calendar year from now, I would guess that roughly half of those six have graduated. This is kind of the sweet spot in the calendar for when I think all those six will either be up and playing or about to get the call. Uh, so I'm not going to try to kind of predict which of those six still has their prospect eligibility uh, because it'll be very close. Like I expect all six of those guys to graduate by roughly the all-star break next year. Um, so I'll kind of go with, I'll give you five names um, just to kind of consider uh, beyond those, uh, those six. Um, I think, Xavier Isaac with Tampa Bay, Carlos Jorge with the Reds, Sebastian Walcott with the Rangers, uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez with the Twins, and Lazaro Montes with the Mariners. Uh, they're all kind of, I would say they're sort of dark horse candidates to be top five prospects for me a year from now, but they, uh, I think that's kind of the gist of the question, basically. Uh, you, you're always going to have uh, like the Colt Keith types, um, who are just excellent prospects, but they're kind of more like top 10 prospect, not top five prospect material. And then you've got your James Woods and your Jason Dominguez's and Everson Pereira's and stuff. And uh, I'm sure somebody, somebody along those lines will be a top five prospect a year from now, but I'm guessing Aaron is kind of looking to uh, really get in front of some guys in the lower levels. Uh, and related to that question, Corey B wants my thoughts on Sebastian Walcott and Lazaro Montes so far. Again, Walcott was the Rangers top international signing this year. Montes was the Mariners top inter international signing last year. Uh, they're both playing in the Arizona complex league right now. Very small samples, uh, but I'm extremely excited about both guys. Walcott to me just looks the part of a future number one overall prospect. He's got this really athletic six foot four frame, uh, extreme pedigree, uh, projectable power, obvious speed, athleticism. Uh, you can find video, I think, on, on Twitter of his uh, home run in the Arizona Complex League from a couple of days ago, uh, just to kind of get a sense of his body and just how projectable it is. Uh, so he, you know, he started in the Dominican summer league. He's played, I think three games in the complex league. So it's just, it's a tiny, tiny sample with Walcott, but I do see superstar potential there. Uh, Montes it's, uh, you know, he, he got off to a bit of a slow start in the complex league this year. He struck out too much in the DSL last year, but he also just uh, hit for a ton of power. I, I loved him, uh, as an amateur when he signed, um, and over his last eight games in the complex league, uh, since he kind of got healthy, he's hitting 409, 552, 636, uh, more walks and strikeouts. 
I doubt that those plate skills hold for Montes. Um, but if, I mean, if we look up like three, four five weeks from now and he's kind of carried that, like, I'm not expecting him to hit over 400, but if the walks and strikeouts are about the same, I mean, he'd, he'd be starting to look like, uh, someone I'd, I'd maybe throw like a Jordan Alvarez comp on. So, uh, love Walcott, love Montes, um, a lot they're, they're still extremely risky uh not only are we talking about small samples i mean we're, we're still just kind of finding out about these guys from a hit tool standpoint we know about the power obviously with montas the athleticism with walcott um, but we're still kind of figuring out what kind of hitters these guys are and they're facing really poor pitching but uh the nice thing about walcott specifically is he's a young 17 year old so what he does in the acl like if it's very good uh, that'll carry a lot of weight for me uh, versus if he was 18 or 19 or 20. Like I know Diane Jorge's just killing it as a 20 year old in complex ball. Walcott's three years younger than him. Um, so if he does a really nice job uh, over the next couple months, he's going to move just way up um, partly because of his age. Uh, okay. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, got a couple questions about pitching prospects. Uh, like basically, who are the best pitcher pitching prospects in the minors who haven't gotten the call yet? Uh, to stash for the rest of the season. Got questions from Ulysses and downtown. Uh, so I don't think Brandon Fott necessarily counts for the spirit of this question, but he would be my number one guy to stash. Um, Grayson Rodriguez, I'm sure, doesn't really count for this question, but he'd be my number one guy ahead of Fott. Fott would be two then. Um, so beyond Fott and Rodriguez, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't expect to see Andrew Painter until August at the earliest. And perhaps not at all, but he'd be top three uh, based on upside. And, you know, maybe you get like six to eight really good starts from Painter over the final couple of months. Uh, that doesn't seem that likely to me, but, it, you know, it's it's in play. Um, Kyle Harrison with the Giants has righted the ship to, to some extent relative to his uh you know he had a very low bar to to have better control than he was showing like the first six weeks of the season but he's been better lately uh so i could see harrison getting a call for the giants and he'd be interesting just for the strikeouts although i think the walk issues could still be a, a big issue for him uh robert gosser and quinn priester are also kind of trending up although they don't have as much upside um i'd throw 
Mike Vasile into the mix as kind of a, a long shot uh, for the Mets. Um, but really, you know, it, it was Emmett Sheehan and Gavin Williams. Like those were kind of the last two guys that I was really waiting on. Uh, you know, obviously knew about Painter possibly being an option later, but um, you know, Williams, Sheehan, those were kind of the last two guys I was highly anticipating. So uh, not a ton left to get excited about on the pitching side. Uh, Dandy F. Chiggins says, Colt Keith, uh, what kind of power ceiling are we looking at here? Would you rather have Keith, Curtis Mead, or Jonathan Aranda in an OBP keeper league? Uh, I'm definitely taking Keith over. I mean, Aranda to me isn't really in this mix, but I'll take Keith over both the Rays guys. He's basically uh, – he's actually very, very similar to me to Curtis Mead, um, but he's healthier than Mead. He's got a clearer path to everyday playing time uh, than Mead. Uh, I think he could be a 300 hitter who hits 25 plus homers. Um, I'd probably say 30 plus homers if you were in a more hitter friendly park, but um, like that's, that's kind of what you're, you're trying to get. Like it's kind of um you know, like peak Anthony Rendon type of prototype is what you're what you're thinking about with with Colt Keith and uh, his defense is going to be pretty poor, but they will find room for his bat. Um, not that Tony says, when can we expect first year player draft rankings? Uh, that's a good question, and uh, feel free to to message me or something if you have a specific type of format or league where there's a draft like the day of the draft or the week of the draft or something like that um i'm gonna i'm gonna at the very least i'll publish an article uh the week of the draft with like maybe my 20 favorite prospects and like five uh fades of guys that i expect to go in like the top 20 or something like that um just it just kind of depends how many prospects i'm able to evaluate um before draft day I, I do all the notes, um, for the, the guys that get drafted on, on night one. And I try to pre-write the analysis for as many of those guys as I can. So it's kind of just balancing, uh, time in terms of just doing that and getting, um, first year player draft rankings up, but I'll, I'll have something for you. Um, but definitely reach out to me if you need like a specific, um, there's some, some specific deadline where you really need to have some rankings by. Um, as of right now, I can tell you that uh, Dylan Cruz, Wyatt Langford, and Paul Skeens are the clear top three. Uh, Max Clark, Matt Shaw, Brock Wilkin, Walker Jenkins, Tommy Troy, and Braden Taylor. That's that's my next tier of priority hitting targets. And I think it really kind of opens up, um, you know, Max Clark and, uh, Walker Jenkins, those aren't those aren't going to be uh, cheap guys in like a first year player draft. But like I love Matt Shaw, uh, he's my third favorite college hitter in the class, and he could go. I don't know where he's going to go in first year player draft, but he could go back half of the first round. Maybe uh, we'll see where he goes in the actual draft. But I just think this is going to be a first year player draft where, and uh, Jeff Potts did a great job talking about this on on last week's pod, but. Like you want a top three, top four pick. And then if you don't have a top three or top four pick, you could 
be fine with like a back of the first round, early second round pick. You could even get like maybe your fifth or sixth favorite guy in the class with one of those picks. Um, you know, kind of like like Zach Neto this past year. Sometimes you could get him at like the back of the first round in a first year player draft. Um, so I think it's going to be kind of like that after the top three guys. I can also guarantee I will be pretty low on Chase Dollander, uh, Kyle Teal, Jacob Wilson, you know, Handy Morales, uh, at least just kind of relative to where those guys are expected to go in the draft. Uh, all right. Um, Toolsy says, who are some of your favorite upside pitchers? I need to find a way to add a future frontline pitcher on one squad by getting in on one or two players early enough before their cost skyrockets. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is, this is something that a lot of managers in dynasty leagues are faced with where um, like the valuations of, of big league starting pitchers, especially the ones who really move the needle in the standings. Like it's just, it, it costs an arm and a leg to get those guys. Um, I recently traded or like, uh, like six weeks ago, I traded AJ Smith Shaver and Tink Hentz, uh, for Ian Happ in an, an OBP league, um, to, a, to a guy who was looking to do exactly this. Like he, he'd been trying to trade for, uh, big league starters and he just wasn't able to find uh, what he was looking for. So he wanted to kind of get a, a couple prospects with that type of upside, um, so it's, it's not the worst tactic. Um, I do generally think that, uh, trading for trading valuable assets for pitching prospects is usually a losing proposition. Um, uh, just the way I look at pitching prospects, especially if we're talking about like a Tink Hentz, um, who's over a year away from the big leagues, like I just, I'm kind of expecting something to go wrong before they actually get into the big league rotation and maybe something even goes wrong once they first get into the big league rotation. So with a lot of these guys, the peak of their dynasty value ends up being uh, the peak of their prospect value, whenever that is. Um, so I don't, I don't love the idea of just like setting out to trade for pitching prospects. Um, but I can give you some guys that I do think have, have upside, uh, you know, maybe you could buy low on AJ Smith Shaver since he just got sent down, um, you know, Cooper Jerpy, Jared Jones, Mason Montgomery. Um, those are some guys with maybe shaky stats at their current level that you might be able to buy on the cheap. Um, I don't know if he's got the most upside, but I do like Mike Vasile as a guy to buy with the Mets. Um, you know, if you really want to get super risky, Dylan Lesko, Brandon Barriera, Owen Murphy, Jackson Ferris, Harleen Susana, Frank Mazzucato, Robbie Snelling, Landon Sims, Connor Prelip. Like all those guys are just like 10 out of 10 risk. Uh, like you should expect something to go wrong with all those guys, but uh, you might, you know, if you, if you can trade for maybe two or three of them um, and then you just hope that one of them works out and, and becomes like a frontline guy that might work. Um, otherwise like Chase Hampton with the Yankees, Jacob Mizorowski, 
uh, with Milwaukee, Anthony Salamedo with the Pirates, uh, Carlos F. Rodriguez with the Brewers. Uh, those are some guys that have really nice surface stats, uh, but might still be worth um, kicking the tires on. I just don't don't expect this plan to bear fruit. Is, is I guess what I would say. Like, you know, it's it's not the worst idea if you can't acquire the the big league pitching you want to look on the farm, but. <clears throat> Generally, you want this to be part of your plan months and years ahead of time where you're you're drafting these guys in your first year player drafts. You're scouring the waiver wire. You're picking these guys up um, like you could have picked up Frank Mazzucato off waivers earlier in the season. You could have drafted, uh, you know, Cooper Jerpy in your first year player draft. Or, I mean, um, yeah, it's just Kate Horton. Kate Horton's a guy, actually, uh, I should have included there. Um but yeah, I mean, it's just trading for these guys, especially if they're guys where the the value is high as pitching prospects. It's just not not a good bet. Um, <clears throat> oh, another option you could do. Uh, I just did this. Like I'm I'm playing for next year in a dynasty league, and I traded. Um, it's an OBP league. I traded Max Muncie for uh, Robbie Ray and uh, Max Meyer just two guys coming back from Tommy John surgery that can't help the contending team they were on right now. Uh, that's another way to go. Uh, Toolsy wants to know what do I do with Vaughn Grissom? He seems like he needs a trade or position switch to play. Uh, I feel like Toolsy asks about Vaughn Grissom uh, the final Wednesday of every month, but it just, you know, it just depends on the format. Uh, you obviously you hold Vaughn Grissom in a dynasty league. Um, I cut him in my auto new league last week. Uh, auto new is kind of like, a, it's just a keeper league. Basically win now players are the priority there. You, you have probably fewer than 30 prospects rostered. So, you know, it's possible Grissom gets dealt at this year's deadline and I wish I still had him, but I wasn't going to wait around six weeks to find out. And, you know, it just, in dynasty with Grissom, I really think patience is the way to go unless you, you know, if you're going for it this year, you could trade him and treat him like a prospect and get something that's going to help you now. But, you know, you can't, I don't think you can cut him in a dynasty league. Uh, the, it'll figure itself out. He'll either get traded or something will happen. Like we're not going to look up in 2025 and see Grissom at triple a for, for Atlanta. Like it'll, it'll sort itself out before then, but, uh, being patient, probably the way to go. All right. Uh, Danny J says the Rockies seem to have a ton of young hitters with helium, all caps on helium. And then he lists Jordan Beck, Sterling Thompson, Yankeel Fernandez, Hunter Goodman uh, is change a foot in the Rockies org. Uh, so most of those guys, uh, Danny J listed, are using the advantageous hitting conditions at high Spokane to prop up their numbers. Uh, Fernandez has really, uh, he's probably the one who's most sort of surprised me in a, in a positive way. Obviously we knew about the power, but uh, he was at least kind of age appropriate at high A and now he's super young for double A. Um, so Fernandez has, has really improved his stock. Beck is, has surpassed my expectations this year, but um, you know, we, I, I said before the season that that Spokane outfield was just absolutely loaded and they were going to put up big numbers because of how hitter friendly that park is. And that's 
happening. So it's not, you know, that surprising. Um, the Rockies aren't really anywhere close to having a capable pitching staff, but yeah, I, I think the offense is going to be in really good shape in a couple of years. Uh, Sonny says, how much stock do you put into early performances in the Dominican summer league? Guys like Rainer Arias, Derek Bernard, uh, Yorfran Medina, uh, Medina with the Dodgers, Bernard with the Rockies, Arias with the Giants. Um, do you see any of them as top 400 prospects or is it too early? So Rainer Arias with the Giants uh, is the big riser of the guys you listed. Um, and a lot of that is just because he was someone who before the DSL season started, um, like I, I highlighted him in that breakout rookie level hitters article from a few weeks ago, uh, just because he he has the, the big time pedigree from this past J15 class. Arias just turned 17. So he's age appropriate for the DSL. Uh, he's got tools. Uh, he's got performance. So like based on everything Arias has done um, and the fact that he was someone to keep an eye on before the year, like I think he's probably like a borderline top 150 prospect at this point, uh, just based on what, like two weeks worth of games, uh, just because Arias looks like a guy who could be uh, pretty special. Uh, Medina, He's 18 and he's repeating the DSL. So um, he should get a promotion to complex ball very soon. And then we can evaluate him there uh, at a more age appropriate level. Um, Bernard is also repeating the DSL, but he's still 17. So he's a little bit more interesting, but um, for me, it, the sample is, is too small. Um, I would scoop Arias up like in any dynasty league where Arias is available, I'd scoop him up, but it's, it's too early to start freaking out about guys. We weren't excited for, um, before the, the season opened. Um, so go back and check out that article. I'll link to it in, in the mailbag article, but, um, I'd cross reference that to sort of see with these breakout guys, uh, whether they were players to watch or whether it's just really out of nowhere. Uh, Danny J says Anthony Solomedo made MLB pipelines top 100. Do you see him as a riser? <clears throat> uh, yeah, I, you know, I've been trying to pump up Solomedo dating back to last year. Uh, he, he, he's continuing to rise. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's trending towards that top 100 range. Uh, he's Solomedo's probably got the most deceptive delivery of any notable minor league starting pitcher. Uh, it's just very, it's very kind of Madison Bumgarnery. And, you know, I think it's tougher maybe when you're, we've got that arm angle to um, add notable velocity, but if he can just add like a tick to his fastball, uh, he'd be even more exciting. But yeah, I think Solomito is trending towards my top 100 as well. Uh, M fest. What are your thoughts on CJ Abrams? He's still very young and maybe gets to 10 homers, 20 steals or 15 homers, 20 steals this season. Is there any reason to think this is Abrams ceiling or do you foresee more development? So uh, I'd bet on more development coming for Abrams. Uh, he 
has basically improved across the board in every batted ball metric. And he's still younger than a bunch of the best prospects at double A AA and triple A. Uh, the fact that Abrams only got 42 games at double A, 38 games at triple A, and skipped high A altogether. So 80 total games above single A before getting to the big leagues. I think there's more growth potential for a player like that who was rushed to the big leagues than with a guy who debuts when he's 23 or 24. Uh, I'll be interested to see what the offseason projection systems have Abrams at for uh, home runs and steals. Like, I wouldn't be that surprised if you see like Steamer project him to go close to 2020 or something like that this offseason. So, um, you know, I think he needs to cut his chase rate a little bit. I assume he'll continue to try to add strength in the offseason. And from there, he could he could get to 2020 next year. Mike Genray says, will Grayson Rodriguez bounce back and be helpful down the stretch? Um, so <clears throat> I know you kind of phrased it as a yes or no question. Uh, it's not it's not really knowable, uh, but he... <laughs> He uh, he had two excellent starts in the middle of June and then had kind of a more lackluster one in his most recent start. Uh, I think you you got to be stashing Rodriguez wherever you possibly can. Uh, I think he's even worth stashing in just your, your shallow home leagues unless you'd be cutting like a very valuable starter to, to stash him. But um it's just, you know, you bet on the talent. He did show some improvements on uh, this most recent stretch at AAA. So um, he's still missing a ton of bats when he's on, uh, walking a few too many guys. But I don't, I don't know if he's going to be helpful down the stretch, but he's more likely to be helpful down the stretch than any other pitcher who's currently at AAA. So hopefully that kind of answers the question there. Uh, Tanner Granowski says when you are in a competitive window in a dynasty salary league, uh, how all in are you willing to go with prospects? Uh, top 10 prospects, easy moves like Junior Caminero, Jackson Churio, et cetera, or do you try to hold unless it's a crazy offer? So I used to play in um, what was, I think it was called the Staff Keeper League, two and then i think derek van riper changed it to maki uh, i haven't been in that league uh for a while just because it with these types of leagues like trading is the name of the game like you have to and it's and it's hard to um it's hard to build a true dynasty like in in dynasty leagues with no contracts you can actually just build a, a dynasty where you're the favorite to win for like a five-year period. Um, but in the, the contract leagues, they're, they're specifically kind of designed to prevent against that. And you basically, you can't, you can't seriously contend to win those leagues. Like unless you're just taking advantage of incompetent managers, um, you can't really seriously contend in those leagues without trading some good prospects in season to the rebuilding teams. And so, you know, if you just, if you're saying I'm not trading Caminero, I'm not trading Churio, 
then I don't really think you're serious about trying to win. Uh, but you obviously got to hold out for the right offer with those types of guys. Like I think if you're trading a Trurio or you're trading a Caminero, uh, that should be kind of a kingmaker type of move. Like you shouldn't be trading. Like if you're fifth place in the standings and you're trading Jackson Trurio for just like, you know, a closer and, uh, if you're trading Jackson Trier for like Zach Eflin and uh, Jordan Hicks or something like that, then you're not you're not really pushing up to being the favorite in the league. I don't think. Uh, I think you should probably consider yourself the favorite in the league after a Caminero trade or after a Churio trade in that type of situation, because those guys have immense value um, on those rookie contracts if you hold them. You, you probably don't win your league this year if you hold them, but you can't trade them for just marginal upgrades. Um, M Fest says thoughts on Jared Jones of the Pirates sticking as an SP and being effective. Okay. So he's, so Jared Jones, I, I loved uh, what I saw from him at double a um, had a pretty aggressive ranking on him in the, the last update. And, you know, obviously I think uh, MFS knows this, but like the backstory with Jared Jones is kind of like coming into the year, he sort of profiled as the Pirates closer of the future almost. Uh, like David Bednar is probably the Pirates closer of the future, but uh, Jones had sort of ninth inning caliber stuff. Uh, I believe the the fastball was in like the 130 stuff plus range at double A. Uh, he's got a really good slider. Um, so we knew kind of going into the year that he was of, of pitching prospects with significant bullpen risk. He was one of the more exciting because he had such a high ceiling if he did have to move to relief. Uh, but he's had a walk rate under 9% at both double a and triple a. And that's, that's a huge, uh, mark to me, um, for a guy with his stuff. Like it shows that he's really improving on an aspect of his game. He needed to improve, uh, there's still plenty of refinement needed for Jones. Uh, he needs to you know, have a full arsenal. Um, we don't want to have him just relying on the fastball and slider. Uh, and then, you know, there's control and then there's command. Like he's improved his control. I'm sure the command could also use some work. Um, and he hasn't, he hasn't missed as many bats since getting to AAA. But I think the upside is such like the proximity combined with the upside. Um, he's shown improvement. Uh, I think there's just there's a lot of big pluses here with Jared Jones. So um, I wouldn't bet a bunch of money that he's going to be an effective starting pitcher in the big leagues. But, you know, for dynasty leagues, I think he's he's one of the pitchers I'd really want to be rostering. Uh, okay, Charlie's says Chase Hampton or Nick Frasso long term. Uh, I'm gonna sound like a broken record here because I I think pe- people keep asking about Nick Frasso, and I just keep saying the same thing. Um, but like Chase Hampton has thrown more innings this season than Nick Frasso ever has in pro ball, and again, the uh, Nick Frasso hasn't eclipsed 60 innings in a season uh, dating back to college. So um, if we get to the end of the year and Nick Frasso's sitting there with, 
like 85, 90 innings pitched. I don't even know if he has time based on the way they're using him. I don't even know if he has time to get to 90 innings, even if he stays healthy, but like you can, you can say, I told you so if, if he gets to like 80 plus innings this year and, and just has lights out numbers. But I just think Frasso's track record just screams reliever to me um, based on the durability. So, and like the way the Dodgers are managing him, I think he's basically going three innings per start. I mean, they ha- it's not like they can manage him like a, a true, stretched out starter going five every time uh, based on his prior durability concerns. But Hampton has just dominated uh, since signing and he's just really rocketing up rankings. Uh, Just checks many more boxes for me as, as like a future starting pitcher than, than Frasso. All right. Um, Fantasy baseball guy says, I'd like your thoughts on Tyler black. He has shown some unreal stolen base numbers in double A. What do you expect from him once he moves up to triple A and eventually the Brewers? Uh, black is black is a clear uh, OBP over batting average type of guy. And the Brewers have basically just thrown him at third base and they're just kind of hoping it clicks. I don't, I don't even know if they're that bullish on the idea of him as a defensive third baseman, but they don't really have room for him anywhere else, or at least in their minds they don't. So um, his defense is almost as important as his bat uh, from, for him getting uh, everyday playing time. Uh, the steals are really nice. You know, maybe, maybe he projects as kind of like a, a key Brian Hayes but like with way worse defense. So then is he even an everyday player? Um, just he's kind of, bo- it's borderline. Uh, I like him a lot more in OBP leagues than batting average leagues. Um, but he's got some some serious skills with his plate discipline, his speed. Um, so there, there's a chance, but it's kind of, it's maybe like a 50-50 chance he's an everyday player. Uh, nope, nope says, what's the expectation for Wander Franco at your dynasty rank? He seems way more of a speed guy than I anticipated. Is his most likely outcome, uh, like a young Trey Turner? Uh, so yeah, Franco, uh, top 10 guy for dynasty. Um, I don't know if he's, I don't know if the question is saying I, I have him too high or too low or what but uh yeah i mean he's he's been way more of a speed guy than i anticipated i was definitely too low on franco for redraft um you know i i stand by preferring like corbin carroll to wander franco um but i i definitely underrated franco for redraft for dynasty yeah he he could be you could follow along the lines of trey turner um he's such a high floor guy to me in dynasty. Like that's, that's kind of the selling point with Franco. He's 22 years old and you get just this very, very stable five category production for the next 10 years. Uh, That's just not something you can say about many guys um, where you just, you know, this guy is going to help your batting average or your OBP. It's going to hit, you know, probably 20 homers, maybe 25 some years, maybe 18 some years, um he's gonna steal now it looks now like he's just 30 steals per year in the bank he's gonna hit high in that lineup so the runs and rbi are gonna be there so it's just 
there, there's guys with higher ceilings than than Wander Franco. Uh, but I don't know how many guys have a higher floor than Wander Franco and are 22 and they're playing every day. Um, so that's that's kind of the appeal to me with him. Uh, CJ Baseball, in Dynasty Leagues, in your experience, are pitching prospects or hitting prospects more valued? And is it league format dependent? Uh, I think it is definitely league format dependent. Generally, the best hitting prospects are more valuable than the best pitching prospects. Um, you might be in some dynasty leagues where like a pitching prospect who's near the majors and is sort of considered the 75th best prospect in the game carries significantly more value than a hitting prospect who's in that sort of 50 to 100 range, uh, Pitching is generally kind of more scarce, but it's also more risky. So uh, there's there's nothing better in dynasty leagues than young uh, hitters who are going to help you in all the categories, Wander Franco, Corbin Carroll, etc. So when you have a prospect like a Jackson Holiday, who looks like he could be just Wander Franco 2.0, that's going to be way more valuable than any pitching prospect. Um but teams always need pitching. So at a certain point, the pitchers start becoming more valuable than the hitters. Once you get past those very elite hitters, then it's just kind of like everyone needs pitching. Um, so, you know, generally I always say this, like I want young hitters, pre-prime hitters, and then I want to supplement that with veteran starting pitchers. Uh, they can be, you know, pre-prime or mid-prime or early prime, but, uh I generally want to trade for pitchers who are in the big leagues um, because so much can go wrong. If you trade for a starting pitcher who's at double A or high A, so much can go wrong um, between then and when they get to the big leagues. Uh, had a had a couple questions about uh, Drew Gilbert and Jonathan Classe. Um, you know, they both have really struggled at double A. So people basically wanted to know if I am still a fan of them. Um, I would... I'd buy low on Drew Gilbert. Uh, Class A, I probably overcorrected on my ranking with him. Um, you know, he's he's just a guy. I, I always had questions about the hit tool. Um, and actually, you know, with both guys, I probably didn't discount their high A production enough based on the home parks they were playing in. They were both in very advantageous home parks um but i do i have more faith in gilbert just kind of given his pedigree as an amateur uh just his i, I believe more in the hit tool with gilbert than i do with class a uh the challenging thing with class a is that he is just such a speedster that you know he doesn't have to be that good of a hitter to be pretty valuable um you know, I'd rather have Luis Angel Acuna than Class A if we're just talking about Double A guys who are going to steal a ton of bases. But um, you know, Class A could he be maybe um, you know some kind of along the lines of like a Jonathan VR or Asturi Ruiz someday? Like I, I still think that's possible. So uh, very difficult players to rank at this point, just kind of given their Double A struggles. Uh, Two Sheds Jackson 
says Kobe Mayo is red hot. How high is he moving in the ranks? And how on earth are the O's going to find a place for him? Uh, well, I, I moved Mayo up on the last prospect rankings, moved him up on the last dynasty rankings. But yeah, it's it's super crowded. Um, there's going to be good good players, good young hitters who they either have to trade or just aren't going to play as much as they should. Uh, Mayo is so interesting. He's so funny because he, um, his numbers just look amazing. Like if you're just looking at his fan page or whatever, uh, Kobe Mayo just checks so many boxes statistically. And then when you watch him actually hit, he's got such an ugly swing. Um, it's kind of like, it's not like Hunter Pence's swing, but it's sort of memorably uh, bad looking like that. So um, I don't think that would stop me from, from ranking him in the top 10 uh, on the next update. If that's where I think he belongs, but just something to keep in mind. Like it's, it's a pretty ugly swing and he, I think he's more of a first baseman for them. When you, when you've got guys like Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg uh, kind of ascending, to the big leagues, it's hard for me to imagine Kobe Mayo being uh, the best option at third base. So I'd be looking at him as more of a first baseman who gets some DH starts, um, but he could also be a trade candidate. Uh, Simon P says, do you think Johnny DeLuca will get a shot to overtake Jason Hayward, David Peralta, James Outman? Um, does he deserve that shot? What could he do with regular PT? Uh, I think the Dodgers are just very content going with outfield platoons, uh, kind of in the bottom half of their lineup. Like they have their, they have their everyday guys, their their lineup regulars at the top half of the lineup, and then they just kind of play the matchups with the bottom half of the lineup. And Deluca slots in nicely as, as a right-handed option to all those left-handed hitters you, you listed. Um, so does he deserve that shot? I guess, um, you know, I think they, they've done pretty well by DeLuca to have him up in the big leagues. You know, they could easily just kept him at triple a, um, I think he, I think we'll find out what he could do with regular PT at some point next season. Uh, he's you know, the plus speed is, is obviously a big thing. He's a really good athlete, but, uh, he could be a five category guy. And obviously we love the, the Dodgers team context if he's playing every day. So unlike, uh, James Outman, for instance, DeLuca being right-handed, you know, maybe it's more likely he becomes an everyday guy. Uh, whereas Outman, it's probably more likely that he's just stuck on the strong side of a platoon. Um, but they could obviously go with short side platooning DeLuca for a good chunk of next year too. It's just, it's hard to predict. Um, I don't think he's getting screwed over or anything like that. I don't think the Dodgers are leaving value out there by playing those left-handed hitters over him. Um, I just think it's, it's all a process, you know, I think he's had a good season. Uh, Danny J said, I, I seem to be the highest on Jose Ramos of the Dodgers by a good amount. Uh, what do you see? You know, I, I don't know. He's 
he's got power. He's got a little bit of speed. He's kind of a classic right fielder profile defensively. Uh, really good org. He could maybe get moved at the deadline this year. Um, I think he should be in the 100 to 200 range. I don't know if maybe I have him a little high um, pushing up uh, borderline top 100, but I think just based on what he's done at double A this year, seems like a pretty obvious uh, top 200 prospect to me um, could help. Like could hit like 265 maybe with the uh, 25 homers and like five to 10 steals or something like that. And he's fairly close to the majors. So um, let's uh, okay. we got a couple more. So Simon P says, do you think, or no, uh, have you heard anything about Darius vines with Atlanta and could he help them in the second half? Uh, Baseball America had a, a really good, just minor league injuries article go up on the site last week. And we finally found out why Vines hasn't been pitching. He has shoulder inflammation. And, uh, you know, that's not great if a shoulder injury is keeping a guy out for three months. So I wouldn't expect him to help in the second half. Uh, Simon P. wanted to know if Andy Rodriguez's star is falling. I would say yes. I don't think many people would have predicted Henry Davis getting the call ahead of him. Uh, before the season and Rodriguez is just not produced like he did last year. There's some bad luck on balls and play involved there, but yeah, he's not a, not a guy who's trending up by any means. Uh, Ulysses wants to know Brian Wu or Andrew Abbott rest of the season and dynasty. Uh, Wu for me. Uh, I'll go Wu. I, I know Abbott maybe has better surface stats, but you know, I'm, very excited to start most pitchers in Seattle and I'm very scared to start most pitchers in Cincinnati. So that's enough of a tiebreaker right there. Uh, Brian Mack says, can blaze Jordan be an everyday impact bat in an MLB lineup without being a platoon player, given how he really only matches lefties. Yeah, man, this that's the complicated thing with Jordan is, um, you know he does he does solid against righties, but he just he just absolutely destroys lefties. So, is he going to be short side platoon DH? You know I don't know. You know teams don't really like carrying DH type of defenders who only play against lefties. So um, when I'm when I'm ranking Blaze Jordan high, it's it's kind of on the hope that he could be an everyday DH. Uh, now maybe there is just a, a very obvious long-term platoon there with him and Casas. So that's, that's part of the reason, like I, I some so I think in, in a previous mailbag, um, someone was like, why is Blaze Jordan so low? And like, well, this is why it's like, there's the platoon splits, the lack of defensive versatility, like if Blaze Jordan was just a good defensive center fielder, it wouldn't really matter that he mostly matches lefties. He'd still probably get to play uh, every day because of his defense. But, you know, when you're at the bottom of the defensive spectrum, you just have to really hit. And if he's just kind of a league average hitter against righties and 30% better in league average against lefties, but he's a DH, 
then he probably does platoon. So he does he does need to improve against righties. Uh, Jason Erb says, is Michael Garcia someone worth rostering in a 16-team dynasty? I don't remember hearing much about him, and he feels like a potential guy. Uh, well, you, you definitely didn't listen to my preseason pod with Rob Silver then. Um, I don't, Rob, Rob came on and was really pumping up Michael Garcia. And uh, I think he was definitely on to something. He kind of talked me into it. Uh, I moved him up my ranks before the season uh, into the top 100. Uh, and he's he definitely looks like a potential guy. He runs. He hits the ball really hard. Um harder than you would guess by just kind of looking at him. Uh, I think I saw a tweet that he leads all rookies in, in hard hit rate. Uh, I don't know if that's still true, but uh, yeah, I mean, he, he adds value defensively. He runs, hits the ball hard, makes contact. Michael Garcia, definitely a guy. Uh, Parker, uh, how concerned are you with Cooper Jerpy's high walk rate? Uh, I'm just more concerned about what his injury is. Uh, we don't really have any reporting on why he hasn't pitched since May 23rd. Um, but if you look at his four most recent starts before that injury, he went, uh, he averaged almost six innings per start and had a whip under one, an ERA of one, five, four. So I, I would bet on Jerpy's talent, um, his fastball, his release point. It's just, it's very unique stuff. Uh, I like the team context. So I, I'd bet on Jerpy's talent. I know the walk rate's been a little high, but this is also his, his first foray into, into pro pitching. So I'm just more worried about the injury at this point. Uh, Cause I don't know what it is. Could be a serious injury. Uh, okay. Uh, that's going to do it for me this week. Again, if you asked a question and I didn't answer it, It'll probably be in the article that goes up uh, probably tomorrow morning. Uh, and thanks to everyone who asked a question. Uh, we'll be back next week with Jim Callis to preview the MLB draft. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.